Morning, everybody. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word and while you are standing, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We will be starting in verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. If you do not have a Bible, please feel free to use a pew Bible in front of you, and you can find it on page 551, 551. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, reading through the end of the chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph rose, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we just humbly come before you this morning, just thanking you and praising you, Lord, for the opportunity to come, the warmth that's in this building, um, this building that stands, Father, that we can just come worship the one true God. Father, I thank you for this, for your son. As we come into this Christmas time, that he humbled himself, was born a man, born a babe in a manger to save us from our sins. I thank you that our hope is found in that, that our hope is found that he went to the cross and he died for our sins. Be with us today, Lord. Open our hearts, challenge our hearts, I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you, Zach and Sarah. What a beautiful song. Beautiful words. Most of all, beautiful message. God has come to dwell with us. And that is the, the meaning of Christmas, and we are excited to have the opportunity to celebrate that here. Let me, let me ask, how many of you have a, a nativity set at your house, at your home that you put up? Yeah, several of you do. In fact, almost all of you. And uh, in fact, uh, at our house, we have one as well, and, and it consists of the usual cast of characters and, uh, that are in the Christmas story. And as you know, of course, there's, there's baby Jesus and a cradle that's normally front and center, in the nativity set, and then there's Mary, who's normally right beside baby Jesus, who's in the, the, the cradle there, and, and there possibly might be some, some wise men. You might even have three wise men that are each carrying a gift for baby Jesus, and then there's, uh, there's a few shepherds, even some sheep and other animals, and there might even be an angel as part of your nativity set. The problem is... Uh, with most nativity sets, this may not be the case with yours, is that it's kind of hard to identify Joseph. Uh, he just kind of blends in. Or sometimes Joseph is even lost in the background in the nativity scene. And that's fitting 
because Joseph is often called the forgotten man of Christmas. He's the forgotten man of the Christmas story. And when I say the forgotten man, that's not an exaggeration. Not much is said about Joseph in all of Scripture. In fact, Joseph himself, do you realize, never says a word in the Christmas story. He is totally silent, like one of those extras cast in a movie. You know they are there, but they're rather insignificant. And Joseph is just like that. He says nothing at all, and yet the power of Joseph's story is not in what he says, but rather in what he does. He is silently obedient, and it speaks powerfully to us. What a legacy he leaves behind. But obeying would not be easy for Joseph, especially when you consider all that the Lord was asking Joseph to do, all that God was asking him to trust and obey him for. In fact, I just want to share up front what this forgotten man of Christmas shows us about the cost of following Jesus. Notice this in your notes. You're you're welcome to uh, pull out that insert in your bulletin and take notes. It's coming up on the screen. But here's what we learn from this forgotten man of the Christmas story. Joseph shows us that following Jesus is often costly, but it's always worth it. It's often costly, but it's always worth it. And this is a truth every Christ follower must come to embrace sooner or later. There are a lot of people who follow Jesus when it's easy. That is, when it fits naturally within their lifestyle. No problem, I'll follow Jesus then. But they lack the resolve to follow Jesus when it's costly, when it calls for a life of, of inconvenience and even sacrifice. And this is the great irony in the Christian life. Following Jesus ushers you into a life that is simultaneously the most joyful and yet the most costly here on earth. John 10.10 tells us that Jesus gives us life. In fact, life abundantly. Psalm 16.11 says that in God's presence is the the fullness of joy. Psalm 84.10 tells us it is better better is one day in God's presence than 10,000 anywhere else. But then you come to the Gospels here in Matthew 16, and, and it tells us if we're going to follow Jesus, then we must pick up our cross and follow him. And later, Jesus warns us that we can expect hardship. We can even expect suffering when we follow him. Joseph would discover this truth, that it's always costly to follow, but always worth it. And this is what we see in the life of Joseph here. By the way, if I asked you to name Jesus' uh, first followers, many of you would perhaps point out it was Peter, James, and John, and and on one level you would be correct, those were the first followers, the first disciples of Jesus Christ, and yet on another level, what we see here is that Joseph is actually one of the first followers of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at the story of Joseph with fresh eyes and an open heart here, and it really, I want to unpack this story here, it really unfolds with a day of distress, a night of discovery, and a morning of decision, and so notice Joseph's day of distress. I love her, but that's not my baby. Life doesn't always work out as planned, does it? Case in point, look at our weekend here. This was supposed to be one of the biggest services of our whole year. Christmas service. We're supposed to have a children's program this morning. 
Life doesn't work out always as planned, does it? No, it doesn't. In fact, sometimes life throws us a curveball, and oftentimes it's God who throws that curveball our way. Think about this distress from Joseph's perspective here in Matthew 1, verse 18, where it begins, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the context. Joseph is betrothed to be married to this young teenage virgin girl named Mary. Now today, if you were engaged, and things get a little weird, go a little sideways in your relationship, you can just break off the engagement and move on in life. No big deal, right? But not in Joseph's day. During a betrothal, a couple was considered legally married. And so the only way to get out of this legally binding relationship was either by divorce or even by death. In fact, during a betrothal, the couple was actually even called husband and wife, even though they did not live together yet. They did not even, the, the, the wedding ceremony had not taken place either. And it was during this betrothal period that Mary all of a sudden shows up pregnant within the relationship. Now, can you imagine how painful, even humiliating, this was for Joseph? I mean, what a crushing blow to Joseph. He's never had sex with Mary, but it looks like someone else has. Mary was pregnant, but she's not carrying my baby. Can you imagine the conversation as Mary tries to explain this to Joseph? How do you tell the man that you love you're pregnant and it had nothing to do with you, Joseph, but the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine that conversation? Of course, Joseph doesn't believe her. He's like, yeah, right, the Holy Spirit got you pregnant? Listen, I may be a carpenter, but I ain't stupid, Mary. The conversation must have ended with Joseph feeling betrayed and and perhaps Mary even feeling hurt because he didn't believe her. And, and who could blame him for not believing her? Joseph had trusted her, wanted to spend the rest of his life with her, but for Mary to betray their love in this manner, well, that just wasn't right. And so what was Joseph to do? Well, according to Jewish law, Jewish customs, there were a couple of options that Joseph had. He could have Mary stoned to death for infidelity, or he could terminate the betrothal through a divorce. Joseph was full of fear as he considered what to do, and we know this because the first thing the angel tells Joseph in verse 20 is what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to do what specifically? To take Mary as your wife. So he's fearful about continuing, proceeding in this relationship fulfilling this betrothal period to the end, to the wedding ceremony. Joseph was a righteous man, and he wanted a righteous wife. If Mary had been unfaithful to him before the wedding day, then what kind of woman was she? And what kind of marriage could they have? And these are the questions going through his mind. And verse 19 reveals then Joseph's conclusion, his intentions now, what he was going to do where it says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away secretly. Now, that doesn't mean put her in the closet and hide her, stash her away. It's the idea of put her away through a divorce. In fact, notice Joseph's fear here. Joseph intended to divorce Mary privately instead of marry her publicly. 
And given the circumstances, Joseph's intention to divorce Mary is completely understandable. Listen, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He knew he had not slept with Mary. So in his mind, her pregnancy meant one thing. Infidelity on her part. Joseph, he just couldn't buy her story about a virgin conception. And as much as he loved her and wanted to be with her, there was nothing to do in his mind but to follow through with a divorce. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt as he contemplates this, as he comes to this decision? I'm sure he felt angry, confused, frustrated, embarrassed, disappointment, and I can only imagine what Joseph must have said to Mary. How could you? You were betrothed to me. We were going to get married. I was going to build you a nice little house for us in Nazareth. Mary, how could you do this? Why? I've often wondered, Man, did Joseph cry harder that day than any day of his life? But Joseph was merciful too. This is what's amazing about this man. He could have exposed Mary as an unwed mother to public disgrace and even severe penalties. A quiet divorce, however, would preserve some of her dignity. Mary would suffer the consequences of her action, but She would not suffer this public humiliation. Joseph did not want to harm Mary or humiliate her, so he intended to divorce her privately instead of marry her publicly. But God, well, he had a different plan for Joseph, a much better plan for Joseph to follow, which brings us to Joseph's night of discovery. Fear not, Joseph, this is God's plan. Now, as much as Joseph loved Mary, he struggled to believe her story, just like any of us would. He was having a difficult time understanding how Mary could be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? And so God speaks to Joseph in a dream in verses 20 and 21. Look at it once more. Look what it says. But while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so God explains just enough and nothing more, which is often like what God does. Joseph is not told how The baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and to this day, it remains one of the greatest mysteries of our Christian faith. The angel assures Joseph that things are not as they seem. Because the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit and not by a man, Mary has not been unfaithful after all. She is pure. She is godly, just as he hoped. And so the angel reassures Joseph, don't be afraid. Fear not. Take Mary as your wife. And so Joseph discovered that although the Holy Spirit is the author of this life, he still has a vital role to play in God's plan. Notice how this unfolds here, God's plan for Mary and Joseph. God is choosing Mary to be the virgin mother and Joseph to be the adopted father of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, do you ever wonder why God did it this way? Why did God choose it this way? Why this plan? Why this manner? After all, this was not 
an easy plan God was asking Joseph and Mary to follow. Do you realize how much God's plan complicated their lives? It was not convenient. It was very complicated, and it was costly. I mean, it ruined their reputations. The angel didn't explain the situation to everyone else, only to Mary and to Joseph. There was no Facebook posting for everyone to read what happened. Here's how Mary got pregnant. Everyone else from this point on probably thought of Mary as an impure girl. And as far as we know, there was never any clarification or even vindication until the New Testament was written 30 or 40 years later. And so Mary lived with this stigma over her life, with this stigma over their marriage. And when Joseph married her, it seemed to everyone else that he was confessing that the baby was actually his. And so this pregnancy ruined both of their reputations in this community. Mary didn't even get the storybook wedding she'd always dreamed about. And I know that for many women, the wedding day is the most highly anticipated, expensive, planned for day of your life, right? That's the way it is. In our culture, and just because Mary lived 2,000 years earlier in a different culture, don't think for a minute that those young women, teenage girls back then, didn't have hopes and dreams of their wedding. Not only that, eventually Joseph and Mary would have to flee their homeland in Israel to Egypt, all because of this baby that God was given to them. In fact, three times in three years, Joseph had to relocate his family and reestablish his carpentry business. This is not easy. This is inconvenient. This is complicated. This is hard. This is costly. Is this the abundant life Joseph and Mary were expecting? And so why does God do it this way? Well, there are, we could suggest several things, but I think... God is laying out, perhaps, a pattern for us to see here. Perhaps God wants us to see that from the pattern from Jesus' birth into this world of ours, what it means to follow him. And what we are seeing here from Joseph is that following Jesus is often costly, but always worth it. So how did Joseph respond to God's plan for his life? Did he his fear paralyzed him, or did he overcome his fear with faith? Well, notice number three. Notice Joseph's mourning of decision here. Okay, Lord, I will trust and obey. Now, this is Joseph's finest hour. Joseph may be a simple carpenter, but he's man, he, but he's man enough. He's a man who trusted and obeyed God. And that's what verses 24 and 25 tell us. Look at it again where it says, Then Joseph... Being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. One pastor, it's interesting, wrote these words about Joseph. He says, and I quote, When he crawls out of bed, he rushed to obey the command. The language used implies urgency. There is no argument no rationalization, and no hesitation. What we see in Joseph is an amazing model of obedience to the Lord. In fact, every step of obedience Joseph takes is a testimony of his faith in God. And, and just notice the first step he takes. Number one, Joseph took Mary as his wife. 
just as the angel told him to do. Breaking all Jewish customs, Joseph immediately takes Mary to be his wife. He believes the impossible and he risks everything on it. Joseph then lovingly cares for Mary through the final months of her pregnancy, which then brings us to point number two here, the second step of his obedience. He waited till Mary gave birth to actually consummate their wedding, their marriage. You may be wondering, well, why is this so important? Well, it was important in order to protect Mary's virginity and to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah 7, verse 14, which we'll look at here in a minute, that says Jesus will be born of a virgin. Now, this is significant. In fact, following Jesus often means denying yourself some things you might otherwise enjoy. And Joseph is modeling this for us. In fact, think about it. In a day and age when many people today are willing to, aren't willing to wait to have sex till they are married, here Joseph was married and he's waiting to have sex because it was God's will for his life. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, it means oftentimes doing things his way, even if it means denying yourself some things you might otherwise enjoy. This was God's plan for Joseph's life. He was willing to obey, to follow it. And then number three, we see Joseph name Mary's firstborn son, Jesus. And although Jesus was a common name in Jewish culture, this was no common baby. Jesus was born so he could die for the sins of the world. And by naming the baby, Joseph exercised a father's privilege and officially took Mary's son into his family as his own legal son. Now, when you step back from this, and you kind of look at it from up top, big picture, panoramic view, it's an incredible picture of, of obedience. When you consider the circumstances below, and you see all that is taking place here, it's, it's amazing what we see here from Joseph. Joseph is not just this inspiring figure from the past. Listen, he is a, a compelling example for us in the present here. He shows us what following Jesus looks like. And here's in your notes here. Following Jesus is not a matter of convenience, but obedience. That is the, the message of Joseph. He teaches us a lot about obedience. Being a follower of Jesus means you are no longer in control of your life. Jesus is the one calling the shots. And what Jesus wants more than anything else is for us to follow him with Joseph-like obedience. When Joseph wakes up from his dream, he doesn't doubt, he doesn't question what the angel told him. He simply does as he was told, and his obedience was costly. He marries Mary. He waits till Mary gives birth to consummate their marriage. He becomes the adoptive father of Jesus. He sacrifices his rights. He sacrifices his comfort. And he ever, even sacrifices his lifelong reputation for Jesus. He takes the blame for Mary. He endures the shame. And he loses his name so that he can give Jesus a name. Out of all the men that God could have chosen as the adoptive father of Jesus, God chose a man named Joseph from this little undesirable town called Nazareth. Joseph was a quiet man. Joseph was a just man. He was a loving man. But most of all, 
Joseph was an obedient man. And God used his obedience for his glory. In many ways, Joseph is the, the forgotten man of Christmas. He's not remembered for some amazing work. He's not remembered for some amazing accomplishment. But let us remember him for his obedience in the face of fear. So where, where then does this kind of strength come from to follow Jesus? How do we begin to apply this to our own lives here in the 21st century? Especially when following Jesus is costly. Where does the strength come from, then? even the motivation? Well, notice what it says in verses 22 and 23. It says, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, go back to verse 23. Do you see the word behold there? That's an extremely strong word. Behold is kind of like our way of saying, look, look at that. In other words, don't miss what's being said here. Because when you see this truth, when you embrace this truth here, you will begin to have strength to follow Jesus even when it's costly. In fact, notice the strength to follow Jesus, number one, God's promise is fulfilled in Jesus' birth. Verse 23 is a quote from a prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And it's kind of a strange one, so let me unpack it for you. Originally, this promise was given to King Ahaz in Judah in 700 B.C. when the armies of Syria were about to attack and destroy his kingdom. Well, because Ahaz was so wicked, and he knew it, he didn't feel like he could ask God for help. Have you ever felt like that? Man, you have this unconfessed sin in your life, and you're like, man, I don't think I can pray to God now and ask him to do this on my behalf, because, I, well, I've I got this sin going on in my heart that I haven't dealt with. Well, that's kind of like Ahaz feels like, except his whole life is characterized by evilness, wickedness. And he knows it, and so he doesn't feel like he can approach God and ask for help. And so now he just leaves him despairing. However, good news came through this prophet named Isaiah that God was not going to allow his kingdom to be destroyed because God wanted to keep his promise to Abraham. And so Isaiah tells Ahaz that God is going to give him a sign of this promise. Well, unbelievably, Ahaz doesn't want this sign from God because then he'll be obligated to follow God. So Ahaz says, nope, don't give me a sign. And Isaiah says, well, you don't get to make the rules here. Here's your sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And sure enough, it happened. Someone in Ahaz's household had a baby, and that was the sign of God's promise that God would save the kingdom. Now, for 700 years, this prophecy was kind of a, a mystery. But now, God says through this angel to Joseph, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so through this miraculous birth of his son, 
God, what's going on is he will deliver Israel from all her fears and fulfill his promise to Abraham. And Ahaz was thinking deliverance from one invading army. But God, 700 years later in fulfillment of this promise, was, was promising ultimate deliverance from sin. And in that moment, when this prophecy is fulfilled, Joseph saw that God was faithful to keep his promise to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Times looked dark in the days of Joseph. It looked like Israel had been run over by her enemies, but God fulfilled a 700-year-old promise in the birth of his son. And so here's what you should see from this. This is the significance of this for us. If God kept all his promises then, back then, you can be sure God will keep all his promises now. You may be asking, is God really active in the world? Because when I read Facebook and I, I read the news on my mobile device or watch it on TV, it doesn't seem that way. If God is really involved in the world, then why is it such a mess? Or you may be asking, where is God in my own life? Does he really care about what's going on in my life? Well, here's your sign. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And sure enough, it happened. And this baby lived a sinless life. This baby died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the grave, and he's coming again. And you may be struggling to obey God based on the fact that he hasn't done what you wanted, what you even expected God to do in your life. But I would suggest that your trust in God should not be based on how well he has met your expectations, but based on the signs that he has left you. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And that's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. And if God kept his promise back then, 2,000 years ago, folks, you can be sure he'll keep his promise now. That's the beauty of this promise. As one pastor writes, the fact that God keeps His promises to His people should move our hearts toward worship. It should move our lives toward obedience. And it should anchor us in confidence. And so when you think of Christmas and when you see this promise, don't just gloss over it. Meditate on this promise. Whoa, God kept a promise. And if He kept a promise then... I can be confident that God will keep all of his promises in my life as well. But there's also something else in this that gives us strength and motivation to obey. And that is God's presence. Not just God's promise, but his presence is actually now promised in Emmanuel's name. Jesus is born and the angel says, call him what? Call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Emmanuel is not the name that we immediately associate with the Christ of Christmas. We use the more common name, Jesus, when we talk about the Christ of Christmas. And though Jesus was never called Emmanuel as a proper name, he is the fulfillment of God's promise to always be with us. Jesus is God with us. Think about that. 
God left the glory of heaven and in the person of his same son came to dwell with us. And when Jesus left this planet for heaven, he gave his followers the Holy Spirit to live within us. So even now, God is with us. And knowing that God is always with us is what gives us the strength to follow Jesus even when it's costly. Now what's really motivating, what's really interesting here is knowing what Jesus said at the end of his time here on earth. Many of you may remember when you go to the end of the book of Matthew, in Matthew 28, Jesus tells us, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's incredible. Matthew begins his book and he ends his gospel here with God's promise to what? Always be with us. What a promise. And I'm convinced this promise silenced the voice of doubt and fear in Joseph's heart. And it gave him the strength to obey God even when it was costly. Now, if you're here this morning and you struggle, or you lack the strength to follow Jesus, listen, you don't need to strengthen your resolve, if you will, to follow Jesus. Rather, you need to see what Joseph saw. You need to see that God keeps his promises, and that God will keep his promise to always be with us as we follow him in obedience. We really don't know much more about Joseph than this. This is the last time he appears in Matthew's Gospel, and by the time Jesus is an adult, he is no longer around. Joseph is gone from the scene. And yet Joseph shows us that following Jesus, it is often costly, but always worth it. You ever wondered what would have happened had Joseph not obeyed God through the angel? What if Joseph had just ignored the dream? What if Joseph had not obeyed and followed through? What if he had chosen the easy way? If he had not believed the angel, went ahead and divorced married, Mary and married a different girl? I've often wondered, would he have gotten the storybook wedding that he was maybe hoping for? Would, would he have had a nice little carpentry business in Nazareth? Perhaps. But he would have missed out on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He would have missed out on the salvation and joy that's only found in Jesus. You think Joseph regretted his obedience, even though it was costly? I don't think so. And yet what's interesting, too, is the payoff for Joseph. I don't think the payoff, I don't think he reaped the payoff necessarily on this side of heaven. I think the payoff for Joseph was delayed. It's when he was, got to heaven. And that's where he saw the payoff of his obedience, of the sacrifices that he made in following the plan that God has for his life. And I don't know about you, but if I'm honest with myself, that's part of my problem in my own Christian journey. Is so often 
when I know what God is asking me to do and the life he's asking me to live, I'm like, God, where's the payoff for this? I want, I want the reward now, the payoff. And folks, here's what we have to understand about our Lord. A lot of times when Christ followers are following the Lord and Jesus asks us to follow a way that is costly and difficult, the payoff is not always immediate. And we live in this culture where we, we want instant gratification. I do this, this should happen in my life. This is the expectation. And God's on a different plan than that. And that's what comes into tension then in our lives. And Joseph is showing us here that, yes, following Jesus is often costly, but it's always worth it. But that worth, that payoff, may not be seen this side of heaven all the time. Oftentimes, the payoff is when we get to heaven. And that's where we trust the Lord, that he is taking notice. He reconciles all this. And so don't doubt for a moment here that your obedience is being wasted. Following Jesus is costly, but it's always worth it. Always. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. And Lord, I, I don't... We know that you are sovereign, we know that you are in control, and, and even the weather this weekend, it's not by accident, this is all part of your plan. And Lord, even though this is not what we would have chosen, many churches here in the Kansas City area were, were planning um, one of the biggest Sundays of the year. And Lord, even in our own church, it's not by accident of who's here this morning, who's here to hear the story of Joseph. And so I pray and ask that you would work in our hearts. You would show us what we need to do, how we need to respond, what we need to believe, and that we, we, we would respond appropriately. And so, Lord, challenge our hearts here this morning. Convict us where we need convicting. And perhaps there are some who have yet to take that first step of belief as a follower to trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would open up their heart and eyes to see their need for the Savior. That he came for them. He came to pay the price of their sins, to die on the cross in their place. And Lord, through our faith, our trust in you, in our confession of our sin and repentance, we can receive the wonderful, wonderful gift of salvation. Lord, work in our hearts even now as the praise team sings. In your name I pray, amen. I invite you where you're seated to respond, to cry out to the Lord.